The Secret World Chronicle, a podcast novel series created by Mercedes Lackey and Steve Libby. Introducing Book Three, World Well Lost. Nowhere Fast, written by Mercedes Lackey and Cody Martin, read by Veronica Jaguer. John Murdoch hadn't seen much of the CCCP base, except for the infirmary and a couple of offices. When Soviet had declared him fit to fight, he had pretty much headed straight out the door without looking around. He'd had a lot of thinking to do. He was sitting on his usual thinking spot, the corner of a ledge on his squat's roof, Guinness in hand and the moon high above. Finally, he'd settled on a decision. CCCP was still a hierarchical organization. It answered directly to a government, though it seemed the organization was a bit of a black sheep from the research that he'd done. Anarchist as he was now, and looking at the Soviet abuses of power in the past, it weighed on his mind. The paramilitary aspect was something that was comfortable for him. It was structure, and a welcome change after his past few years of wandering. Things were changing, and he wouldn't be able to make it alone. His newly acquired family through the neighborhood certainly couldn't fight against it, even with his help. It was still better than Echo, and a damn sight better than Blacksnake, and... He turned his thoughts away from what that tattoo on his wrist represented with a shudder. He'd made up his mind. All that was left now was bucking up and making it official. Leaving the empty beer bottle on the ledge, he headed downstairs. One cold shower, since he didn't have the time nor the inclination to set up a solar-powered one at the moment, and a change into the cleanest and least abused clothing he had, and he was back on the CCCP's doorstep. This time, he came in through the front door. He didn't recognize the person at the front desk, but as he addressed the stony-faced man, he noted with relief that at least the fellow spoke English. Though when he keyed a handheld walkie-talkie device in lieu of an intercom, he spoke Russian. All that John could make out was his own name. The reply was faster than he expected, and evidently faster than the man expected, too. You may go up to the commissar's office. Comrade Murdoch, was all he said, leaving it up to John to find his own way. This was very clearly a former warehouse and factory. Brick, two stories of offices in the front facing the street, still offices, and the CCCP's makeshift sick bay, it appeared, and behind that vast expanse that had once had heavy machinery and storage piled to the ceiling. Now it was being partitioned up into barracks, a larger infirmary, Kitchen, garage, armory, presumably. It was all very impressive, even though clearly in its early stages. There was still a lot of building going on back there. Still, he'd kill to even have half of those resources for his neighborhood. The pounding of hammers echoed around him as he climbed worn wooden stairs to Red Savior's office. Construction dust made him want to cough. Finally, he reached her office. It took some navigating to find it. Leave it to the Russians to make a maze out of their HQ. 
The commissar remained seated as he tapped on the side of the door. Come, she said, and nodded at the Spartan wooden chair in front of her desk. I assume you have something other than a pleasant good morning to be telling me. John cleared his throat. I've given the matter some thought. Red Savior stood impassively, waiting for him to continue. I figured that it'd be in my best interests and the interests of the neighborhood if I were to join y'all. If you'll take me, that is. Red Savior regarded him enigmatically and with remarkable calmness. Comrade Parker argued your case for you with some vehemence, she replied. She expected you would be making this request. The Russian woman chuckled dryly. <laughs> you could not have a more enthusiastic advocate. If you had not been incapable of such things when you were in our care, I would have suspected you had become lovers. John flushed, but didn't outwardly react. But Savior was bullying right on. However, since that is not the case, it must be your other merits. So, she leaned over her desk. You would be telling me about your scars, and how you got them. And do not attempt to deceive me. This is my territory, and these are my people, and it is my right and duty to see they are not put in harm that I do not put them in as their commander. John began to sweat. During his years on the run, he had been especially careful about his past. It was his one weak point, the one thing that could get him and anyone near him killed, faster and more completely than a bullet. John moved close the door to the office, looking to the commissar for permission. She merely raised an eyebrow, which was enough for John. Closing the door, he turned to face Savior, gripping the back of a shoddy chair positioned in front of her desk. There's not much to tell. I was taken in as a part of research gig, run by the government. They made some changes to me. Strength, reflexes, endurance, senses. Nothing outstanding, but enough. I, uh, took an early release for myself when my powers first manifested. They didn't take too kindly to that. And I've been avoiding any unnecessary entanglements since. It wasn't the whole truth. The whole of it was damning and would have taken much more out of John to tell. But it was, hopefully, enough. He hadn't lied at the very least. Finally, Savior seemed to be content. Or as content as she was going to get. She made some notes. Now, we talk ideology. This time she made him sweat in other ways. Never before had he been forced to articulate the philosophy he had come to, well, it was more than embrace. It had become his life preserver in a way, and now he had to justify it and reconcile it with Leninist Marxist socialism. It was a long, a very long hour. Mostly he expanded upon his personal beliefs concerning free will, self-determination, social and individual contracts, the nature of hierarchy and coercion, and so on. He didn't lie during this portion of his examination, either. 
When asked questions pertaining to status communism, he stated his unflattering opinions of all the examples of the systems. She made notes the entire time. When she was done, she pulled a file off of the top of the stack of others and pretended to leaf through it. Pretended because he was sure she knew it by heart. Comrade Parker gives you a clean bill of health. Comrade Soviet does likewise. So, now we go beyond ideology. It's not enough to say one thing, even to believe it, but do another. Practical application, comrade. She put both hands on the desk and leaned over him. There is a bag of kittens on a railroad track, and a train is approaching at 75 kilometers an hour. Nearby is a group of young pioneers about to succumb to the blandishment of a capitalist with an Xbox. What do you do? John stared at her, stunned. But before he could react, something crashed down through the ceiling, piercing and shattering the desk between them, scattering the files in a snowstorm of paper. Something huge, metallic, something he had seen before. The machined tentacle of a Nazi war machine. It withdrew as quickly as it had smashed down. John snapped into his fighting mindset without even thinking about it. Calm, analytical, and mind going 1,000 miles per second. Pure instinct reflexes and training. Muscle memory as opposed to calculating. Conscious thought. He dashed to his right, crouching down into a half-stance and looking to the gaping hole in the ceiling. Red Savior had gone to the opposite side, overturning her desk for cover. Her fist was already glowing malevolently with charged energy. Within moments, the sunlight streaming into the room was blotted out by the huge and terrible form of the Nazi war machine. Both of them heard the telltale ultrasonic whine of the machine's signature energy cannon charging, preparing to fire and erase them from existence. Even with the realization of their impending doom hitting them in microseconds, there was still no time to react. Even their tremendous powers couldn't bear the speed of light, beams of coherent energy lashing out instantly. They stared into the glowing mouth of the thing. And then there came an inarticulate bellow of rage from somewhere on the street outside. A huge rust bucket of sedan hurtled into the side of the war machine, impacting just below the muzzle of the cannon. The analytical part of John's mind recognized it as a 67 Chevy. The whole war machine boomed with the impact, ringing like a bell, and probably shaking up the pilots inside. The Chevy disintegrated into a cloud of scrap against the machine's armored hull, raining around John and the commissar. A second vehicle followed the first. This time it was the remains of a delivery van. And that was followed by a chunk of concrete almost as big as the Chevy. With that kind of barrage going on, not even a computer could have kept the guns aimed. That was the only opening that they needed. Dave, Dave, Dave! To the roof, comrade! The commissar literally flew through the hole in the roof, kicking off the desk. John got a running start and then vaulted forward and as high as he could. He felt his strength ebbing, trickling away with each exertion. His injuries were still healing, and he was going to pay the price for that. Grasping, he barely caught the edge. Still a Herculean leap for an average man, but well below what John was normally capable of. With a grunt, he pulled himself up above the lip of the hole, and immediately began moving. 
A still target is a dead target, and he needed to go from the defensive to the offensive as soon as possible if he wanted to get out of this fight alive. With the cannon inoperative, the controllers for the war machine activated the mechanical tentacles, snatching and stabbing towards John and Savior. John immediately put on a burst of speed, running faster than any Olympic athlete could hope for. He vaulted over an air conditioning unit, catching a glimpse of it being speared by a tentacle. He pivoted, juked, and then spun off in the other direction, a trio of tentacles jutting into the roof behind him. He slowed for a moment to focus, sending a blast of flame at the war machine. His fires weren't nearly as strong as he hoped, merely reddening the hull instead of blasting through it with a concentrated plasma. His Russian counterpart was flying out of reach of the beast's tentacles, sending concussive blasts directly at the cockpit's viewscreen and any tentacles that threatened too close. Another abandoned car fractured against the side of the war machine, this one hitting so hard that it actually clogged the muzzle of the energy cannon. From below came a whoop of triumph and a familiar female voice. Good one, Chucky. Keep it up. John darted towards the corner of the roof. Out of the corner of his eye, John caught a glimpse of blue that quickly ducked into cover as the craggy creature called Chug dodged a tentacle, bellowed again, and picked up the remains of a set of cement stairs and flung it at another cannon muzzle. Was Bella managing to direct the creature? John didn't have time to contemplate. Another set of automated tentacles flew towards him. Too fast, he barely managed to duck under them, one of the tentacles scoring the flesh from his back. Savior's face was a mask of mingled fury and calculation and... joy? She was enjoying this? Chug's assault had given her the space to think, and she turned blazing eyes towards John. Fire kills these things, she shouted. Can you fly? Hell no! John rolled behind the roof access, two tentacles embedding themselves into inches away from his head. But I can jump pretty damn well. Nazrat, she spat, and before he could move had swooped down and seized him by the back of his jacket. The next thing he knew, he was twenty feet above the roof and accelerating towards the Nazi contraption, dangling from her hands. She didn't take her eyes off the thing, but shouted at him. I am heading to the top, she screamed over the cacophony of combat. Being ready when I drop you. He didn't have much warning, just the sight at the top of the curve of the hull. She let go and he dropped like a rock. John barely managed to roll into a crouch, still landing harder than he wanted to on the unforgiving hull. She dropped down beside him and began punching up what looked like a seam. A hatch, maybe. Her fists glowing a blue-white. Five punches and she was through, the remains of the hatch clattering inwards, swinging on what was left of a hinge. Below them... John could make out through the smoke and sparking electrical systems, crewmen looking up, mouths agape with shock, and hear someone shouting in German over some sort of intercom. Fire, Todorich! Savior screamed. Dave! She matched her words to a barrage of energy from her fists. John thrust his right hand into the opening she had created, relaxing his concentration ever so slightly. A plume of flame sprung forth, filling the interior of the war machine with brilliant fire. Unintelligible screaming followed, and then a jet of backdraft. Savior grabbed his collar and kicked off as the machine began to tilt radically to one side. She only got a one-handed grip this time, and it canted her off balance. They spiraled down to the roof and landed heavily. 
Not wasting a moment, both of them sprinted to the edge facing the street. The Nazi war machine had canted wildly, spinning down to the street below. Breathing a half-sigh of relief, John watched it come to an almost controlled landing. It didn't tear at the roof of the HQ or crash into any buildings. With a tremendous boom, it came to a rest, skidding along the asphalt before ending up against another abandoned warehouse. In the half-second after the war machine had stopped moving, both John and the commissar had assessed the situation. To the right of the machine, Bella and Chug were fighting off six Nazi armored troopers. Chug had resorted to wading in to deal with them hand-to-hand, while Bella stood back with a terrible scowl of concentration on her face. Since the shots from the troopers' arm cannons were going wild, John could only assume that she was interfering with them somehow. On the left, a group of five Nazis were standing in a circle, blasting away at a surrounding neighborhood. You! Take those five! I go right! She slapped something on her belt, and sirens blared inside the CCCP HQ. Though how anyone could have missed the rounds of the combat going on escaped John. It occurred to John that only a few minutes, two at most, had passed from the time the war machine had attacked until now. That might not have been enough for people inside to react. And was there a plan in place if an attack came here? But the sirens would at least tell them that their leader was alive and outside, and that was where they should be. In a flash of red, black, and gold, Savior was already over the edge and flying towards Bella and Chug. Not even a half second behind her, John bounded over the lip of the roof, heading down to the group of Nazis on the left. In a flash of bizarre humor, he remembered a quote from the Blues Brothers. Illinois Nazis. I hate those guys. The front door burst open. Literally burst, it had been jammed shut by pieces of shattered car and concrete and the mustached man who had been at the desk when John came in hurtled through the door and charged straight at John's targets. John touched down, again harder than he had intended, on the now smoking hull of the war machine. One of the Nazi troopers noticed the CCCP rushing at him, screaming unintelligible Russian curses. About the only thing that John could make out sounded like fascists. The man did a basement slide under the legs of the Nazi troopers, springing to half his height in a fighting stance in the middle of their circle. In an instant, he was striking them, mainly at their joints, with open-handed and closed-fist strikes that made John queasy just watching. The Nazis' armor rang with the impacts, but didn't give. If anything, they took notice of a threat in their midst, turning around to face it. In moments, the mustached CCCPer adjusted his tactics, he was now focused on dodging and deflecting attacks directed at him. He swatted aside energy cannons an instant before they fired, ducking under swung mechanical arms with air whooshing along their passage. It was amazing for John to witness. He didn't waste any time, though. This ballet of destruction could only last a few moments longer before the troopers got organized and destroyed their adversary. Just as the Russian redirected a charging energy cannon into one of the adjacent Nazis, John fired off the strongest blast of flame he could manage. It splattered against the closed trooper's helmet, sending the armored hulk stumbling forward several steps. The Russian man immediately withdrew from the trooper's circle, giving one a backhanded chop to the knee while he ran. Immediately, the air was filled with energy blasts, splitting concrete and walls all around John. The rank scent of burnt ozone filled his nose as he darted back behind a section of the downed war machine's hull. 
startling him. The CCC peer that had been fighting the troopers rolled back behind the same cover, breathing hard. They both shared a look for the space of a second. Privyet, Amerikansky. You are not bad fighter. For Kulak. You're not too bad for a commie. Ready to give these bastards what for? Dave, came the grim reply. John sprinted from cover, his enhanced legs pumping furiously against the street. He blasted gouts of flame at the group of troopers, but without tangible result. His fire wasn't as strong as he wanted it to be. Coruscating energy blasts rocked the ground around him, rippling through the air. John kept firing, covering each of the remaining Nazis in fire until they were glowing red-hot. From the corner of his eye, John noticed his Russian compatriot burst from cover, screaming curses again. The man launched himself toward the nearest trooper, hurtling into its right thigh. The Nazi lurched forward, impacting with the street faced first. In moments, the Russian was striking at the troopers in the rear. With their armor and defenses weakened by John's flames, the CCC peer was somehow able to cause more damage to them, his fists deeply dented metal, even cutting through joints. John fired off more blasts, focusing on the death's head helmets of the Nazi troopers. They weren't able to coordinate an effective defense on two fronts, firing their arm cannons wildly into the ground and air. The Russian pounded them relentlessly, twisting limbs at the right time and beating in vital parts. Soon, three of the armored behemoths were incapacitated, dead or on their way to death's door. John had run himself out. He couldn't move anymore, and was using all of his energy to stay conscious. Slumped against a wall for what he vaguely recognized as a bookstore, he gathered his remaining reserves. Concentrating every single bit of willpower he had, he focused and then released everything. A concentrated stream of plasma burst from the palm of his hands before he went limp. The stream took the head off the Nazi trooper poised to club the Russian man, toppling the fascist backwards. John slumped back, useless and utterly spent. That was when salvation in the unlikely form of the CCCP doctor, Soviet, appeared, sprinting to John's side from the remains of the door. And scrambling over the top of the wrecked machine came the rock man, Chug, flanked by the commissar and Belladonna Blue. John's vision was beginning to blur, going dark at the edges. The commissar let loose with a barrage of concussive energy blasts that looked to John as if her strength was fading too. The blast flew over the Russian man's head, impacting squarely with the remaining Nazi's armored chest. But it was enough to drive the trooper back against the wall behind him. In a flash, Chug had ripped a plate free from the war machine that he was standing on, heaving it with incredible strength at the dazzled trooper. The hull plate bisected the Nazi, cleaving his torso cleanly from his hips. With a shower of sparks and a spurt of hydraulics, the invader was dead. It was over. And now, with a howl of sirens, an echo team appeared. Enough strength washed into John to allow him to stand, propped up with the help of Soviet as the echo team looked for something to fight and found nothing left. Red Savior tossed her head a little, jumped down from the ruined hull of the war machine, and strode toward them. I am Commissar Red Savior of CCCP. And we have the area secured, comrades, she said, not bothering to hide her smugness. We will be wanting some of this technology for study, of course. She glanced around. 
this on my team. Chug. Our physician, Jadwiga, known as Soviet. Georgi Vazlov, known as Untermensch. And our newest comrade, John Murdoch. Even as out of it as he was, John could only cringe at hearing his name pronounced in front of strangers. So much for low profile. Belladonna seemed to have disappeared. Then again, Belladonna was supposed to be Echo. It was probably less than politic for her to be here. Hot on the heels of the Echo team had come a pair of reporters. Savior consciously turned towards them. They had already caught her introductions on camera. As you can see, the allies of the CCCP are on the job protecting the workers of the city, the Russian said proudly. And that is with but a handful of our comrades. When we are at full strength, we will show you what we can really do. The barracks weren't quite done yet. John staggered back to his squat bearing, with Untermensch's help, several sets of the CCCP uniform. After working the numerous locks and getting inside, John flopped into his bed, breathing hard. It took him a few minutes to regain his composure. Thankfully, his new Russian compatriot waited. That was being quite the first day, Tovarich, the man finally said, without cracking a smile. But it was good interview. Even the commissar said as much. John climbed painfully to his feet, trudging toward the ancient refrigerator in the corner of the room. Yeah. It was a decent scuffle. Suckers were lucky I wasn't at my best, though. He retrieved two bottles from the refrigerator, tossing one to the Russian as he stumbled back to the mattress. So, what's your name again? I've gotten in mind for details, but I was way out of it by the time we finished with those goose steppers. Georgie, my... He made an expression of distaste, searching for the proper words. Kolstein was not my choice. It is a long story for another time. I am older than I look. He grimaced. I was the guest of such a very long time ago. John took a long pull on his bottle of Guinness. Well, pleased to meet you, Georgie. Name's John. John Murdoch. Budem's Dordi. The Russian tilted the bottle towards him before downing about half of it. I suppose, he continued, his voice heavy with irony. I should be grateful to them. I should not have been able to fight this lot if the first of them had not decided to use me to test some of their little theories. He held up his hand. For all intents and purposes, these are invulnerable. There were some difficulties in getting the serum to work on the entire body. Their invulnerable soldiers were invariably dead within a day of injection. My healing powers were supposed to counter that. Another smirk. Luckily, some of my comrades came to my rescue before the fascist could finish the procedure and learn from it. As such, I am a relic to that era. 
He stretched, cracking his neck. There is a certain satisfaction in breaking their skulls again. Won't argue about that, comrade. John finished his drink, setting the bottle down beside the mattress. The Russian didn't seem much inclined for small talk, so after a little more conversation, he left. The room got uncomfortably warm after a while, so John managed to limpingly drag himself off the mattress and head to the roof hoping for a breeze. Unfortunately, the Russian had drunk his last beer. He leaned wearily over the concrete parapet and looked down on his neighborhood. Even the small walk up here had caused him to breathe heavily. His wounds were giving him more trouble than they should have. Maybe I'm growing old. The breeze finally came from behind him, a breeze with a hint of cinnamon and vanilla to it. He knew what it was, even before he realized that it was coming from the wrong direction for it to be natural. I thought that you might appreciate these, John Murdoch, the angel murmured quietly as she stepped to the parapet beside him and held out a cold beer and a newspaper. And where were you this afternoon? he asked. Tending something. Why? Did you need me? She patted the paper, where the headline screamed Echo Ops Trumped by Ruskies. John chuckled raggedly. I wouldn't say need, Angel, but uh, would have been nice. Still trying to heal up from getting skewered by a sword. He pondered for a moment. The commissar figured that the Nazis were part of a suicide squad. Sleeper cell designed to stir up trouble. Keep everyone on their toes after the invasion. Pain in the ass for a broken-down jerk like me. She tilted her head to the side, regarding him for a moment. That... The wound... I can help with. A little, if you would like. It is permitted. John shrugged, trying his best to hide the pain that the movement gave him. Is that a yes? A no? Or a just go away? Forgot that you can't read my mind that easy, Angel. Have at it. Then... Give me your hand, if you would. She held out hers. John paused for a moment. He removed the fingerless glove from his right hand tentatively. The tattoo of a snake eating its tail was visible again, and he hoped that the way it unsettled him wasn't visible to her. She looked at it a moment, and blinked once. That explains a good deal, she said then took his hand in both of hers, covering the tattoo with her right. For a moment she went so still she seemed to be frozen in space as well as time. And then a sudden rush of strength engulfed him, as a fire ran into all his veins and nerves, his senses flared, and he felt completely awake and aware to all the world in a way he had never been before. She released his hand. 
You know, if you could bottle that, you'd make a fortune, Angel. She looked at him for a moment, and there was something in her face that disconcerted him, and also tore down something guarded in him. There are few who could bear it, John Murdoch, she said. And then she looked away for a moment. Sometimes, even I cannot bear it. And with that, she spread her wings and lifted into the sky, vanishing in a flash of feathers and flame, flying with a speed that should have been impossible. The feeling quickly dissipated from John. He was still invigorated, but now more puzzled than ever. Just another night in Atlanta, Johnny. Just another night. <laughs>